everyone, Pat here from the Emerging Markets Enthusiast and it is great to start 2022 full on with a new episode from Brazil, one of uh, the early stage VC firms there, Big Bats, that has really made quite some noise recently and is led by Manza and Alex and we sat down with the two co-founders to hear more on their approach on venture, how they got off the ground, how they found each other how they subsequently then set up the fund, how they found LPs, how they attracted entrepreneurial talent, and their approach on adding value to their portfolio. So loads to unpack there. Hope you enjoyed the show. And please make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, and Twitter, wherever you're getting your podcasts. And now onto the show. Hope you enjoy. Hi Manza, hi Alex. It is so great having you on the Emerging Markets Enthusiast today to talk about your journey. But before that, I just wanted to ask you guys where you're actually dialing in from today. From Sao Paulo. No, it's great having you and hearing more about big bats and uh, what you've been up to in the Brazilian ecosystem, which is obviously such an exciting space at the moment. So to dive right into it, I, I was actually wondering how did you guys make your way into the world of venture, into entrepreneurship? Uh, I'm sure the two of you have some really interesting stories. To good. And, and, and thank you for, for having us. It's always good to chat about venture capital, entrepreneurship, business. So we are very excited to, to be here to share a little bit about our journey and the beliefs that guide us here at Big so, so, you know, it has been a, a long way since we met each other in, in college 15 years ago. We were classmates and, and beyond that, we had the opportunity to work for more than two years at Junior Enterprises, it's a kind of a, a consulting company run by students and, and supported by teachers and also by by professional consultants in the college. So, for example, we had the opportunity to, to be trained by McKinsey and had McKinsey consultants supporting your projects. It was a very, very nice, valuable experience for us. And along this journey, it turns out that we worked really well together and we enjoyed working together. Still in college, and was, was back in 2009, right after this experience at Junior Enterprise, we decided to make something more entrepreneurial. So we tried to, to start a business together. That time we saw the gap for NA, online content. NA is like SAT, standardized tasks widely, widely used for college admissions in Brazil. And back at that time, NA was in its second or, or third, third year, I, I don't remember. But an internet was, was born as well in Brazil. So there was no online content about NA. And... And we were uh, playing with Google Trends and it was already showing a massive interest about it. By far more, more than Xuxa, Ronaldo and other funny things that we, we tried. We were remembering yesterday this episode and, and we were laughing about it. And, but, you know, fasting forward, there was a company that nailed it and was not ours, was Discomplica. And obviously we, we failed big time and, and we failed big time even before we started. So... We had no idea how to start a business that market us a lot. There, were, there was no venture capital at that time. There was no startup school. There were no mentors. We got stuck and, and we, we never started. So we ended up realizing that we were not prepared and we decided to choose another track to start up our careers and maybe in the future be prepared for, for the next attempt. So 
I chose Endeavor and it really was my business, you know, and no surprise that I, that I, I went there for, I was there for more than, than eight, eight years. And Sean chose private equity to, to start his career, right, Sean? Actually, I started my career as an entrepreneur as soon as I got accepted to university. I didn't even wait until the classes started. I just started I just started a business right away. After two years, I decided to shift from private equity uh, in order to learn uh, how to make business investment decisions with more analytical rigor. I felt as if uh, everything was too empiric uh, by the way that I was doing things. In, and and I, I thought that private equity would be a good school to, to d- dig deeper on these analytical themes while I was still close to the strategy and the operations of the business and also taking risks. For most of this time in private equity, I worked for Advent. Advent is a global private equity firm that was founded in Boston. And their Brazilian office was loaded uh, with engineers from ITA, which is the Brazilian MIT. And I spent many, many hours number crunching, modeling, learning from several different industries and companies. I also managed to be closer to the operations of the companies while I was uh, entering CFO of a large company. And I was also... Uh, a board member of a listed company during these eight years. So uh, I think that the, the, this cycle fulfilled its purpose of, of transforming me into a, a more solid professional. I did become a valuable resource for these companies that I work with. But at the same time, I felt that uh, I wasn't a scarce resource because after a private equity steps into, into a company, this company has an unrestricted access to people who are way smarter and more experienced than me. So we always had all the access from McKinsey and the global experts. So I realized that I would be way more helpful to, those, to companies that are not yet worth billions of dollars. And while these companies were, in, in, and especially those that are in their day one, are the companies that probably need would need me as a resource the most, but at the same time, they don't have any resources at all. I understood that working with these early stage companies would yield me purpose and happiness, but it would also open the opportunity for me to come back to my entrepreneurial roots from the very early days of my career. In this journey of thinking, which business should I found? I, I knew that uh, illiquid investments was the only thing that I had done in these eight years prior to founding Big Bats. So it would be the only thing that somebody would will to pay me to work for, <laughs> to do some, some kind of thing for them, right? Early staging investing was also into this illiquid bucket. It's a great space to find returns, giving companies double, triple in size every year. And revenue growth, in my opinion, is the only way that the liquid investor here in Brazil and that puts his money into companies, they find returns. Because the typical LBO equation that works in the developed economies is not applicable here because that here is really expensive and volatile. So I thought, okay, uh, this thing of working with companies from day one and setting that as a, as a way to pave my way to be a venture capital investor in the future sounded like a good idea, which was uh, exactly what, what Manza was planning. Meeting Manza at this time was really important because uh, I didn't know anything uh, about startups and anything in this space about that time. And Manza had saw in Endeavor the whole film of the development of the Brazilian tech ecosystem. On the other side, he had seen very little on the technical side of doing liquid investment into the space. So we realized that it was time for us to join forces. And then we decided to, to, to found an early study investment in that, in that investment firm. So I decided to quit my job as a PE investor by that time. 
and decided to start up an early stage investment along with Monza. That's how we made it. You know, after eight years working in, in different industries, coming from different paths, we met each other in, in the same mood, the mood of building something, building a company. And, and since we had these trajectories, it was quite obvious for us that the best thing we should do was to start a venture firm at that time. Absolutely. No, it's fantastic and a really striking journey the two of you had there. And uh, I wanted to go slightly off script here, but uh, double-clicking and taking advantage of that, I have the two of you on here. When did you guys realize that you're forming the, the right team to, to do this together? When did you did you say, okay, Manza, Alex, th these are we, we are the, the guys to team up with this? Yeah? When, when did you find out, okay, he's my partner in this? When was that moment? Because this is so crucial for many founders, for people that are building a VC firm, because it takes years to actually then get those returns and you want to build something that is lasting. So it's really crucial how you build that team. How did you, did you make up your mind on this? I'm going to answer your first and then Shant, please jump in here after. My gut feeling, quitting that for six months before Sean quit private equity. So and my gut feeling was that Sean was the right person. So I came and told him about this idea of, of starting a venture firm. The first time he replied to me, he said something like, you're crazy. There's no way. Why, why people are going to get your money and why people are going to give you money? You have nothing. And I, and I remember replying to him, yeah, I have, you know, half of the, the answer because I know something about entrepreneurs and about, you know, scaling a business, but I, I know no, nothing about, you know, managing a fund, raising funds and all this stuff, you, you know. So why you are so skeptical about it? And it was like water hitting stones, you know, the, in the beginning. And after a few weeks, He came back and said, oh, let's, let's talk again. That's how we started to, to go, go deep on it. But I, I believe it was quite obvious for me that it would work in the first month of work. So when we, we spent all the day together thinking about the basis of the business and, and, and the, the concepts and the, the values. So for me, in, in that month was, was quite obvious, but I had a, a very strong good feeling that He, he was the, the right person. So basically, since that day that Maza came to me and said, listen, I'm going to start up an investment firm. I committed to him to, to be available and give feedback and, and assist him on, on the journey. From, from, that, from that moment on, we started to have meetings to discuss on, on the plans. Of, and Maza traveled the world. He went to Israel. He went to, to the US. And he brought... Lots of really cool insights on, on, on things that were missing here in the ecosystem. He ended up uh, concluding that um, he had to start to do something. And he said, listen, I'm going to start to run boot camps at FGVU. That, that this is where we, we graduated from university. And invite talented people to have discussions on how to start, start a startup. And I would really like, I know that you want to be an, an entrepreneur, you, you, you're, you're thinking about starting your own company. So I would love to have you there with me, being one of those entrepreneurs that will be thinking about what they're gonna, you're going to do. And the only thing that he asked me as a counterpart was, you have to have an idea and a team. And then I thought, I felt quite excited about the idea of have a community uh, of meeting people that could who I could share with all those thoughts because I think that loneliness is probably the 
the, we, the, the strongest pain that the entrepreneur, what entrepreneur suffers with. And I thought, okay, let's do it. I'll think about the business and I'll think about the person. Give me a sec. Then I, I, I hang up the phone and thought, oh my God, it's so obvious, you know. <laughs> I then I, I called him like five, five, min, five minutes later. I was like, I have an idea. We're the team, man, you know. So, so you want to do an investment firm? I think that this is where my journey is going to end up at Discovery. After getting to know Edson and all those guys in the ecosystem that Muzzy introduced me to, Edson from Astella. I started to believe that venture capital could invest, it could be as solid as private equity investing. And, and, and I got rid, rid of all those weak beliefs that I had before because I didn't even know about the industry. And given that I felt so excited about the invitation, I thought, listen, there are hundreds of or thousands of talented young people who are seeing this tech scene start to develop here in Brazil. They don't have a clue on really how to start. If I'm excited, there's probably lots of other people who are excited as well. So these boot camps will be a good lead generator to our fund. We should do it. And then mother said straight away, let's do it. And then that is why this is how we became partners. Sounds great. I wanted to dive a bit deeper on this because um, it, it is such a crucial topic, right? And how, how do you complement each other? Because you have very different backgrounds, one could say. Probably Alex, more numeric, more number driven. And then Manza, obviously, with all that background from Endeavor of working with entrepreneurs, supporting entrepreneurs. But what are some of the personality traits that you're saying, okay, that's where you really excel at or like uh, Manza take that on uh, because I'm not so good on that. Uh, how, how, how did you figure that out? You know, that working dynamic and the different personalities you might have there. I always joke that uh, it's easy to, to tell you how we complement each other. Shen, he does the, the, the hard things and I do the easy things. So that's how I, I always joke about it. It's very hard to differentiate what's real good opportunity than what's not a good opportunity, but it feels like a good opportunity in early stages. It's very difficult to separate these buckets. And I think what Shem brings, the best that he brings to the table is his diligence. You know, he's, he goes in, in the details and he understands and digs a lot. So a more superficial guy that make friends while I work. So, you know, and trying to help everyone that I that I meet in the, the way that I can. So I bring the opportunities to the firm, but, and, and, and I joke that I'm, I'm very confident that we are going to succeed because we have him deciding in the, you know, the, the pen, who, who writes the check is him. So, so I think he, he, he plays a very important role in the firm, making us, I cannot say good decisions, at least right now, but uh, it's structured decisions. And that's very, very important. Thanks so much for the nice words, Manza. <laughs> Manza has taught me a lot on how to make business over the latest three years because he, he, started to, he used to work for Endeavor, which is an ONG. And Manza has this really genuine, altruistic approach on helping people. Um, and he does that, um, obviously, because he naturally is somebody altruistic. But I think that he knows that, uh, he understands that um, 
being altruistic, altruistic is a great way to build angles to develop strong, long-lasting relationships with talented people. And Monday is the kind of guy that he never says no to somebody who calls him to ask for help. And every now and then somebody comes back to him calling, listen, I really, I really want you to know that I'm doing this. What do you think about my business? Or I really want to introduce you to this guy that may assist you in, the, in, in this X agenda of, the, of Big Bets. So he is a resource magnet. Uh, considering that I'm coming from private equity, it was a big shift of mentality for, uh, for me because um, during this time, I was taught on to negotiate until the last cent and only focus from A to B exactly on, on the things that will w- w- yield results for us uh, in the most efficient, quick way. And the truth is that for the innovation entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial world, the journeys are seldom linear. And understanding that and betting on things that are not, uh, not obvious and having the patience until things develop was also something that came as part of, the, of this experience, understanding how Moza works. And Moza said that he's superficial. Uh, I don't agree. I think that he just has a broader span of attention. And... Uh, And as a result, we complement each other a lot because I'm the kind of person that if I start to read a book, I finish it. I can't read the the first 50 pages and let go of the book. I want to understand how it ends. (laughs) And I I read all the footnotes and all those things. And Moses is the kind of guy that buys 100 books in a month, gets the first 50 pages of them, understands the concept and jumps into the next one. So um, he's more connected with the trends. He, I think that he's a, he's more, he's a, he has a more panoramic, um, top-down view of things, and I'm more bottoms-up, more detail-driven. And in the end, I think that uh, together, we end up having a more complete view of things, right? Obviously, it's a big challenge to have two people who are so different running a company. We are... We are co-heads of Big Bets, and we are 50-50 in our partnership. Um, some people warned us, like, it's, not, it's never going to work because you're, you're too different. There, there's got to be someone taking decisions and leading the process. And it's crazy how well things are working. And yes, we, have, we had our times on where we were still adapting to each other's style and understanding how each other worked. But I'd say that the, nowadays, it flows really naturally, really efficiently. And, and it's funny because really often, Manza and I meet different people at different times, and we give the same feedbacks to the entrepreneurs, despite we have this different model. So I think that the process is different, but the values that guide the process is, in the end is the same. So we typically end up arriving at the same spot. Why are we not working together? And it's funny because often happens that people meet Alexandre and a few weeks after people meet me and they, they, they tell us that it feels that it looks like the same conversation going on. So they, they, feel, they feel us as one, you know. Very funny for us, quite often we, we, we listen to people 
telling this thing about us. So it must be really, really synchronized in, in your way of thinking there, but but also different. And and that that's really interesting, I feel, and that probably makes you a really good team there. I wanted to talk a bit more about Big Bad. What makes you different as a firm? Brazilian ecosystem is booming. We've got so many GPs operating in the space. What do you, do you say is your uh, USP there? Nice. So I would say that is not what we do differently, but how we do it. And and. Let me explain you what I mean. In our understanding, uh, there are lots of investors in the market, but very few partners in the market. So, and, and we think that it changes everything, whether you call yourself an investor or, or a partner. When you think about an investor, what comes to your mind, usually someone behind the Bloomberg, Blackstream, making buy or sell calls. And an investor job is it's only to throw money to the founders. And, and then wait for the results, you know, that's, that's their jobs. And in the opposite, when you think about a partner, you picture someone with rolled up sleeves, you know, getting their hands dirty and making, literally doing everything that is, that is necessary for a company to succeed. That's a partner. You know, a partner is someone who, who sees himself part of the failure or the success of a company. And that's how we, we see ourselves. And we think that it changes everything. It changes your approach after investing. In, and for sure, it changes all the process you get there. I would say that is not what, but the how. That partner investor distinction makes obviously all the sense. And in that regard, oftentimes pops up the question of how you add value. This is sort of the overarching topic always as an as a VC and, and for entrepreneurs that are raising funds with VCs, how can you actually help me? What's your take on, on adding value there? That, that's a great question because we did spend a lot, lots of time having the discussion, asking ourselves, how could we differentiate ourselves from the market given there were so many established firms that were already saying that they were founders first and they, they do add value to the portfolio. We, we knew that we were entering a clan that already had their chiefs, right? So we knew that there wasn't a barrier to enter this market and you had to, the way to pierce it would be to, to find something that had a, a unique valuation, a value prop to the, to the entrepreneurs. So what's peculiar about our approach to adding value to the portfolio is the fact that we work with entrepreneurs since day one. We, start, we get our hands dirty even before there's a round head. There's a round happening. That opens up space for us to engage with entrepreneurs when the most critical decisions are taken. Topics such as the formation of the partnership, the selection of the market, which will be targeted, definition of the vision, which will lead to the transformation of such market, or, and even the first product that this company will sell are all usually decided prior to the entry of the first fund. And if you think, well, this is the whole base of the whole thing, right? They are the most critical decisions that are taken. And entrepreneurs usually don't count with any support about that time. And so we knew that that time would be when they needed us the, needed us the most. And given we roll up the sleeves and work with them while there's no capital involved, entrepreneurs feel free to be vulnerable. They're not afraid to tell us what's not working at that time because they don't think that it won't affect the valuation cap of their saves, right? Additionally, we typically don't price the rounds because we are usually followers, not leaders of the rounds. That frees us from the responsibility of pricing around and further frees the entrepreneur to be frankly, to speak frankly with us on all those topics that we were deciding that, 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 we, that I just mentioned. Uh, lastly, 
this thing of being a hands-on follower, which is really core to our value prop, um, also is a great deal to the entrepreneur in our vision. We, we even joke, we say that we have the best value add over cap table dilution ratio in the market now. And we do that without sacrificing our entry valuation, right? So um, by the start we start, by the way, when we start working with these entrepreneurs, we, there's no dilution at all because we, we, we don't even write a check on the very first days of work, right? So as the other firms, we do have these mantras of being founder first and add value. But we try to create in a new context to build a relationship with the founders so that we could go deeper on those fronts. This approach is interesting. You have a small uh, share of someone's equity. But, you know, instead of spraying capital in very smart, lots of smart people, we think that this way, working with entrepreneurs is a very important way for us as well to, to do the diligence on, on, on the founders. So it's, it's very important for us have this opportunity not, not only spray money widely into the world. So, but, but what we look uh, for is, is a tech background. So someone who can build product or someone who can you know, sell digitally product. So this is, this is the first one. And the, the second thing I would say, uh, some people who know how to, to run, to scale a business. These are the main two characteristics that we are looking for prior to, 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 to invite us to work with these this founders. Very interesting that you already work with the founders before investing in them. And that's obviously so, so key in building those lasting relationships. And there's an, there's an interesting trend, if one could say so, in the US, there's one fund which is called Slow Ventures. I don't know if you've heard that is investing in an individual and giving that individual lump sum, but that person might not yet have started a business. They do not even know yet what they're doing. So it's sort of, I'm taking equity in you. I want you as an individual. And that is very similar to early stage investing, right? Because there's not much there when you get off the ground. The company's just being built. And I guess that that was also kind of a switch in thinking, especially for, for, for you, Alex, I assume from the private equity world, that there's not much you can analyze in the early stages, right? So how, how do you guys say, okay, this is the entrepreneur I, I want to team up with. This is the entrepreneur that could be interesting for the portfolio of big bets. Uh, what, what are some of the factors you look into uh, by, by deciding and whom, whom to invest in? If eventually a founder doesn't have these characteristics yet, but we see potential to arrive there, we do engage. But it takes longer for us to write the check. So what mitigates the risk of not being able to scale the business in the end or, or not being able to attract somebody who compliment me, given I don't know how to code, being close in the journey, observing how this guy takes decisions, delivering some results, which are not necessarily traction, but how if the entrepreneur is open to, to, to listening and, and uh, is open to connect with people, uh, is genuinely trying to uh, solve a problem inside that market, not, not, is not only doing copy-pasting and the successful thesis there and trying to raise some venture capital. And all, the, all of those things are really hard to assess if you have a one meeting conversation and next day you're going to write the check. But if you have the time to take the time to have regular talks with this person and observe how the process progresses, and we, we, we end up being more comfortable in doing that. Yeah, you need to watch a movie to access uh, learning agility. You cannot access, you know, with a meeting. You need to, to follow someone for, for a while. 
absolutely very very crucial points there and that regard i mean early stage investing is so competitive of late especially in in brazil and we've got really valuations that are through the roof do, do you think you can still get the returns that you're aspiring for given that it just really has been excessive and early stage investing really has the highest dilution uh oftentimes you have to invest in the Broad number of companies to 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 get your multiples right. Uh, has the game changed? I mean, both of you have really some track record in the ecosystem, and you you've seen what it has been like five years back. Has it been increasingly difficult in the Brazilian ecosystem to to really get those yields you're looking for? Your question touches on two topics here. One is level of valuation, and the other is diversification of the portfolio. Regarding levels of valuation, we are not aligned, I would say, because we have been uh, we, we we did see uh, Fred Wilson's article talking about seed rounds at the 100 million dollar valuation levels, and definitely we don't think it's possible to find returns investing in these levels of valuation. But the reality is that Brazil is way behind these levels. We've been accessing seed rounds of very nice startups inside the 10 to 15 million dollar valuation post money valuation cap range. I'd say that the ones that are out of this range are outliers and usually really far from the $100 million mark. So I think that uh, uh, what some investors may be seeing in the more developed markets is not, is not, is not applicable to, to Brazil at this moment. However, we did observe a substantial increase in the levels of valuations here uh, over the latest years. And since then, we obviously became more selective on uh, before writing a check. But in the end, we don't perceive seed investing as a quality game, as a price game. We perceive seed investing as a quality game. Because if the company... Uh, becomes a unicorn, paying $50 billion in a PowerPoint will yield us substantial returns. And unicorns are not as rare as Decacorns, right? We end up focusing way much more time on finding the best startups instead of finding bargains or negotiating to the, the last cent uh, in things that may have a questionable quality. And we also don't perceive that prices rise alone here in Brazil, uh, but the, the, the ecosystem itself is going through a de-risking process, which deserves a premium on the valuations. Never in Brazil, we saw so many talented people, so well, pre well prepared, uh, taking these entrepreneurial route with a tech mindset, uh, trying to innovate. Given the, the first unicorns were born, people are starting to understand that, that it's, it's not impossible to get there. And at the same time, investors are also understanding that and liquidity, liquidity as, a, as a whole increased strongly. And along with liquidity, not only um, prices rise, but also the availability of capital. So uh, entrepreneurs now have in their hands the required resources to turn their visions into reality. And if eventually they don't succeed finding a unicorn, or founding a unicorn that is not having the magnitude to, to exit through an IPO, these companies are more successful. The listed companies, the, the private equity companies are more um, uh, susceptible now to acquire startups. And I think that um, this possibility to exit throughout, uh, through the way will also imply in higher returns for the, for, for the funds. So yes, prices are up, but the quality of, the, of our, our, our asset class also, also improved. And in the end, we perceive the environment to do seed investing in Brazil at this moment, super positive. Th then uh, on the second topic, you ask it about... Uh, portfolio diversification, right? And our, our approach is to balance the statistical approach of diversifying the portfolio 
with a more fundamentalistic approach on concentrating our bets in businesses that clearly have the characteristics that we like. Founded with, by founders uh, with whom we developed a partnership angle, instead of spraying capital through several checks with a loose investment criteria or investing in a founder that we met 24 hours ago. For our first vintage, we plan to have 30 startups in our portfolio, but that over a five-year period, investment period. That will lead us to sign one check every two months, which is a fraction of the investment pace of the spray and pray fund. Why is still 30 companies in a vintage is a, is a reasonable level of diversification overview. So we think that this tighter end of the funnel enables us to be super selective in the companies with whom we work with. So we have the time to arrive earlier, add value to the entrepreneur, and as a counterpart, secure our ownership if these rounds become competitive. And also have the time along this journey to do our homework and end up doing more solid investment decisions. In the end, we decided to have a smaller fund in order to build long-lasting special relationship with those founders, which may ultimately lead to higher returns to our investors, but also at the same time contribute to the ecosystem, creating strong, solid cases. And, and, and complementing, Sean, I, I, I think we also have, you know, at least two very well-marked concepts here. So the first one, as we like to say, we, we, we like to invest in true tech companies. And what I mean by true tech companies is, you know, think about electrons instead of, uh, of atoms. Uh, so companies with digital products, digital channels, uh, the type of company that produces high gross margins, products that you edit uh, remotely, fast learning cycles, you know, hours, days, not months that hardware or, you know, atoms imposed to you. So we, 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 we are really on, on this, you know, software companies, true tech companies. That's very, very important for us. And the second things we are looking for, we are agnostic in, in terms of industry, but we are looking for really huge markets, you know, uh, enough to fit a, a very big company inside. So I, I think these two concepts are very, are very important for us as well so crucial what you're saying there and i wanted to switch gears and, and talk about the other component of of vc fund right because you've got the relationships with the entrepreneurs but then also with the lps and i wanted to get your take on building relationships with lps because you're two i would say relatively young guys right that were starting out you know launching their first fund how was the journey like raising for big bads What's your long-term vision for subsequent funds and, and the different LPs you're looking for? Cool. So uh, I'll talk a bit on, on, on how we started. Then Manza will talk about the, the vision. Despite Manza and I wanted to found a VC firm, we knew that this desire wasn't a good reason, a reason good enough to do so. We had to have, as we mentioned earlier, we had to have a good reason for investors to give us money which would ultimately be answered by the most fundamental question, which is why the best entrepreneurs would accept our money while they could accept the money from the top established firm. So the, the way that we, that we framed the, this question is six for, this answer, for, for, for its answer was applying the startups playbooks on finding a problem to be sold inside a market. In this case, this market was our ecosystem. And after visiting Silicon Valley, Israel, uh, we understood that the density of capital, the density of talent was increasing rapidly in Brazil, but a third element was still missing, 
which was the density of successful startups. Because these startups, they play the role to teach early hires of these, start these startups how to find found a tech company. So that one day these guys would found their own companies and, uh, while already having a clear view on how to do it instead of learning it, everything by itself and committing lots of avoidable mistakes. This phenomenon is not is is it's called as the mafias, which is something that everyone from the venture capital industry have heard of about one. The most famous one is the PayPal mafia and It's obviously way easier to Elon Musk to be Elon Musk and found Tesla, given he works side by side with Peter Thiel. In Brazil, um, by the time that we started Big Bats, um, we, we noticed the absence of those mafias. It gave us the, the, the impression that the very talented entrepreneurs backed by the spray and pray, spray and pray funds here in Brazil wouldn't necessarily um, know what to do with all that money. So we decided to offer ourselves as a resource to those entrepreneurs in order to disseminate what the established tech companies and funds um, believed the, the best way to found a startup. In a certain sense, try to mitigate the absence of the markets here. And, and that initiative would be the sugar pot that would uh, start to attract the best talent to our pipeline. So we spent one year running boot camps with the help of all the content distributed from top VC firms in the US and also the top local VC firms. And they didn't see us as potential competitors. We would let them take the lead of the round, but someone who would, would make their lives easier uh, by enlarging qualifying their funnel. As a current part for this work, these startup, startups granted us options to subscribe the portion of the first institutional round, uh, which was totally okay for the top VC firms. So we didn't charge any sweat equity or cash for this work as we knew that that would generate adverse selection. And all this in initiative of the boot camps Uh, ended up also setting, being the sugar pot for us to attract capital. We we worked along with we worked with over 200 companies over this first year, signed these options with around 50 of them. And meanwhile, as this company really needed capital, but they were not ready to fundraise with the institutional funds, we started to match make these companies with uh, angel investors that had gray hair deep pockets and had the potential to to, to uh, mentor these entrepreneurs. And we, we also didn't charge any, any money for, for doing this brokerage work. We just said, guys, let us have the opportunity to be part of the journey, despite we're not yet putting any money into the round. And please let us exercise our options in the future. And through this year, um, these mentors uh, invested over $5 million in the companies that were working with us attending the boot camps. There we stayed doing this work, waiting until the, the first top institutional event, uh, uh, fund would sign a term sheet with all of those companies because that would be a sign for us that we had finally reached the, the quality standard required to set, up, to, to set up our own investment vehicle. So when that happened, uh, Canary uh, wrote the first check in Lemon around September uh, 19. That was exactly when we called the very same angels that invested in the companies that were in the boot camps and said, let's, let's do something more organized here. Let's set up an first investment firm. Would you like to fund us? It was really quick. These guys accepted that. That happened because they already felt as if we were partners. 
So, uh, which was the very same approach that we have with our startups. Uh, as we got our hands dirty together, uh, working with the companies, um, that served as their due, their due diligence on us. And they were confident to invest in us, even though we didn't have any track record. At this point, we had just raised capital for the seed rounds. We didn't reserve any money for the follow-ons because we didn't want to oblige ourselves to deploy lots of capital before we had signs of the quality of the vintage that was built. And instead, we gave our investors a pro-rata right that uh, that would allow them to subscribe the quotas the quotas of the fund that would do the follow-ons on these very same companies. The investors loved it because they they also preferred to invest as little capital as possible at that time. And if everything worked out well, they would invest more in the future. So it reduced a lot the friction of our fundraising. We didn't arrive with a, a ask too big for for, for our stage of development. And we kept on, kept on working with the companies along with, with our LPs. Uh, one year later, we had already done eight investments. And these companies uh, were way above our expectations in terms of development one year later. They were attracting capital from Ribbit, SoftBank, Valor, Kazak, Astella. Everybody was happy on what was going on. And then we came back to them and said, listen, uh, uh, yes, we are doing quite well, but we have a problem. Uh, the Series A's are coming and we don't have any reserves. So once again, these guys really quickly started to write the checks. It was amazing because around over 80% of our LPs said yes. And on average, they wrote checks three times higher than the ones that they had written one year before. Manza and I thought, listen, it's, it's been just one year since these guys committed capital. So uh, will, they, will they have the appetite now to do it? And in the end, they were just saving the capital, waiting for us to deliver results. And now they came bigger. And um, they also spontaneously referred us to all of their, of their friends. And in the end, our fund multiplied by four after this second fundraising. So it was kind of our Series A, this event. Talking a little bit on our LPs, our biggest LP today is Spectra, which is uh, the leading independent fund of funds in Brazil. Kanitz, which is one of, the, of their founders, mentored us during one year. And we were quite happy when he betted big on us early in the journey. We also have partners of very well regarding investment houses here in Brazil. GP, which is a pioneer in private equity in Brazil, uh, has Fersen Lambranho as a chairman, is also as Big Bet's first investor. And Fersen today is the most important investor that, investor that we have in our base. We call him as father and talk to him every day. <laughs> and the guys from Advent also invest in us. So Patricia Etlan, Wilson Rosa, Rafael Paturi. And also the guys from Verge Asset. Verge is a legendary investment house in Brazil, mostly active in the liquid side. These guys help us a lot during our due diligence pro, uh, uh, processes. But they also seek a lot for our advice when they analyze, they're analyzing opportunities into the tax space. So the relationship is really symbiotic. We also have several family offices in our base uh, from successful entrepreneurs, both from the traditional economy, such as Marisa, Fitchparty, Barauna, but also from the new economy, such as LocalWeb, 99Taxi, and Unico, uh, which is a unicorn is currently in our portfolio. And these guys are key for us to open doors, uh, assist in, and also assist the entrepreneurs with domain expertise in their respective verticals. Manz and I are more generalistic. We, we can't go that much into detail about every vertical. These guys are crucial to complement us in this gap of knowledge. And lastly, we have uh, a long tail of several smaller checks. 
that were written by managers of emerging tech companies and people from Endeavor, for instance, which help us referring uh, their most talented colleagues, which just founded, we just quit their jobs and are founding a tech company. So we, we were able to map these talents, arrive earlier and start working with them. Spectacular. Uh, this is really, really interesting. And I think a great blueprint for other stage investors that are just starting out, how you can compensate for not having the pedigree or the previous track record, right? And and be an effective altruist for, for the first period of time. And then later on, capturing that value is really smart. Uh, what can I say? Yeah, I mean, in the end, we we we, we treat the, the, the same way that we don't like to perceive to be perceived our of, by our by, by the founders of the companies of our portfolio as investors. We we would like to be perceived as partners. We treat our LPs as partners, and and, and it just breaks the ice and and getting your hands dirty together is the best way to do due diligence. So it, it helped us a lot, but but we also didn't know that it would end up like that, right? Because I actually. It was a very different approach on how to do fundraising and all those things. And, and, but that's our formula and we stick to it over the, the next years as well. No, it's fantastic. And we're slightly already over time here, but um, there's a fast speed segment of the show. Three questions I'm asking everyone on the podcast. Do you have three more minutes for, for those three questions? Yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Brilliant. So first one is, who is an entrepreneur you admire and why? You can have obviously different answers on that uh, between the two of you. Uh, I would say Rodrigo, the founder of Conta Simplis, because they are in a very special moment. It just raised a really nice Series A with very good investors. And we have a three-year trajectory with them. And so it's very nice to see them skyrocketing, you know, Revenues are soaring and they're in a very special moment. I, and I admire him a lot for his resilience. Um, I admire Mariano from Axenia a lot. Um, Axenia is one of our portfolio companies as well. Mariano is really humble. A humble entrepreneur um, is the kind of person that wants to learn from every challenge. He's not w caring about proving himself and the others that he's right. And I've seen so many founders that don't have 1% of Mariano's experience yet don't listen to anyone or get really upset when things don't go as they expect. These guys usually take longer than necessary to adjust the route, pivot or whatever. And also they end up out of cash and burned out <laughs> because they're too upset on, on the signs that the market is giving to him. Mariano is totally the opposite. Um, from the very first meeting with him, we started a great connection because he's so open to listening. He's been gathering so many talented and skilled people um, as mentors and investors uh, to Axenia. And as a, a consequence, they're, they're, they're just progressing so rapidly. While I don't, I know that they're putting a lot of effort, but you know, you can notice that they're enjoying the journey, right? They, every time that a difficulty comes in, he sees it as a sign that he has to improve in that. He sees these challenges as gifts, not as problems. And he's really... Um, deep structured experience. Prior to finding Axenia, he was an operating partner at Advent. He architected the thesis to acquire Bitoscana and stepped in the CEO and led the company from the check until the IPO. So he's really uh, he's a really experienced guy that doesn't let the ego take the lead. As a result, I think that uh, we, we believe that building a startup is a race, wins that one who learns more quickly. And I think that Mariano will end up in the race as a winner. <laughs> I say, 
Uh, brilliant examples there. Second question. In one phrase, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I would say something like, always walk forward. So, or something like, don't be ready to start. You know, start and, and, and then get ready. You know, just, just go. There, there's a TED talk called uh, How to Start a Movement, which is remarkable for me. Yes, I know. It's fantastic. My turn. Um, Self-knowledge is the best compass compass for, all, for an entrepreneurial journey. Um, entrepreneurs who know themselves well bet on spaces where they do have an angle to win. They are aware of the things that they don't know and bring aboard people to complement their weaknesses. So they are also more resilient because they know how to deal with their emotions. I am also an entrepreneur and I've been putting, I've been putting a lot of effort into this since I, I heard this feedback. So I've been using as tools therapy, yoga, meditation, reading a lot about philosophy and neuroscience. And I, I think I, I observe that the impact that, that it has on me, it all has on me, uh, to make better decisions, to interact with people, and also to be healthier and happier during the ups and downs of the journey. So it was the, the best feedback that I received. Two really fantastic pieces of advice there. And uh, last but not least, three keywords that describe a successful business, in your opinion. So I would say tech, in a, in a tech approach, you need to, to build tech companies. The, the best people, the right people, the, the right people in place for you to have an unfair adventure, as Sean just described it here. And, and the, the third thing, uh, you know, this done, done better than perfect mindset. So, you know, move fast, just go. So I would say these three. Uh, scalable, profitable, and unreplicable. Certainly six crucial keywords there. And uh, we, we, we've got it multiplied this time. So um, yeah, we're at the end of the show. Is there anything uh, you would like to share with the audience before we wrap up? I think just thank you again for, for having us. I hope your audience found that was worth listening so far. So thank you very much for inviting us. Same thing. Same. Uh, thanks. Thank, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I'll, I'll, I'll take advantage of the audience here to, to, to make a request. So if you are listening this and you are or know a very talented entrepreneur who intends to build a scalable, profitable, unreplicable business, please let us know. Still on your early days, don't shy, don't shy, don't shy away to reach out, even if you're not fundraising. Uh, in our webpage, you may write us or through LinkedIn as well. Maza is a LinkedIn freak. So uh, please reach out for him as well. Uh, we may help you since your day one. Fantastic. No, perfect note to end up on. And such a pleasure having you on the show. So many great learnings there. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to hearing more about Big Bats uh, over, over the next years. Loads to come there. 